Welcome to Radio Imagination. This is an exploration of the life, work, and influence of the author Octavia E. Butler. I read about people and the different ways of being human. And you can't really do that unless you write about a lot of different kinds of people. She was a science fiction writer born in Pasadena, California. I think I had one choice, well, two choices. I could become a writer or I could die really young. I'm Savannah Wood. This year, a decade after Butler's death, a group of artists and writers will explore her archives at the Huntington Library and bring you a series of performances, film screenings, and literary events, all produced by Clockshop, an arts organization in Los Angeles. Here's Tom Carroll, the creator of Tom Explores Los Angeles. Think about the last time you rode the bus. What feelings come to mind? Good? Bad? The thing with riding the bus, even most, quote, people people don't like doing it. Someone might be playing loud music, or they smell weird. On the bus, you're looking at humanity through a magnifying glass and not always seeing something pretty. Octavia E. Butler rode the 485 bus line for nearly an hour to get from Altadena down to the downtown Central Library nearly every day for many years. A total of 15 miles. By car, with no traffic, you could do it in about 23 minutes. Butler, who suffered from dyslexia, never drove, fearing that her reading disorder would impair her ability to quickly read road signs. But Butler described herself as painfully shy, so riding a cramped bus probably wasn't something she looked forward to. At the same time, though, she could look out the window or jot down story ideas and overheard snippets of conversations or simply observe the people around her. On her bus ride, she wove through the oak-lined streets of Pasadena, past the old moneyed mansions of San Marino, through the stuccoed, low-slung apartments of Alhambra, onto the Almani busway, past cramped, unincorporated East L.A., over the concrete line Los Angeles River into downtown, finally landing at Fifth and Olive. The Central Library sort of looks like LA City Hall's younger half-brother, a brutish, squat, Byzantine temple with a multicolored pyramid as its crown. It exudes the optimistic spirit of 1920s Los Angeles. After a rebuild remodel following a terrible fire in 1986, it has eight floors, covers 6,000 square feet, AC, clean restrooms, and a fleet of security guards watching out for patrons. But Butler started coming to the Central Library in the 70s, before the major East Wing expansion had been built, and at a time when city leaders were calling for it to be torn down. I asked Glenn Creason, map librarian at the Central Library, who started working there in 1979 to describe what the library was like when Butler researched there. The library was kind of, kind of funky and... Uh, Elaborate, what, what made it funky? Well, I, you know, I mean, we had, we had no air conditioning. We didn't have really heat that worked. Um, everything was kind of, kind of dirty. The floors were, hadn't been cleaned in forever and you know, we had a lot of eccentrics and homeless people. Uh, a lot more after Reagan was governor. Why's that? Because he basically didn't fund mental institutions anymore, so they were all 
put out on the street and and they ended up down here so there was a lot of uh, a lot of people then were coming in the library just a place to get out of the the heat or the cold or whatever or just have you know relax for a few hours on a hunch i asked him if he knew who octavia butler was and if he remembered seeing her all the time she was in the library constantly um i remember her from before the fire so that would have been in the 80s um she was a familiar face in the library and she used to request magazines sometimes from my department. Very polite, very quiet, very private. She wasn't gregarious and she wasn't, didn't stand around wasting time talking with us. She was mostly had her, uh, you know, had a pad making notes and had her face in a book or a magazine. How did you come to hear about Octavia Butler? Well, I actually I was surprised because I knew her I knew her face really well because I saw her all the time and I had no idea who she was. So I thought she was just, you know, one of our regular library patrons and we over the years we have lots of people that come every day and we don't know who they are. Years later, um, when she started publishing books and basically becoming famous, I saw her picture in the, probably in the newspaper and said, oh, that's who Octavia Butler is. After finding out who this person was, I'd have to say I'm proud of, I'm proud of the fact that she did her research here because it shows what, you know, she's, she's a major artist and uh, the fact that she was able to use this library to create her art, uh, it's fantastic. And I, you know, I'm, I think we're proud of Octavia Butler, uh, that she was part of our, our library. In April of 1986, Butler arrived at the Central Library to see flames pouring out of the building. Here she is recounting the traumatic event in front of a live audience at the Central Library. I was coming to this library to tutor someone um, in literacy on the day of the fire. So, you know, I got to the library and there's smoke pouring out of the windows. It was um, a strange, horrible feeling. After seven years of reconstruction, the library reopened in 1993. Tisa Bryant is one of the writers involved in the Radio Imagination Project. As a young person, she spent countless hours reading and writing inside the Boston Public Library. What do libraries mean to her? Libraries mean access. Um, libraries mean self-education. They mean a kind of freedom. Um, and in a lot of ways, public libraries are public education. Um, free, uh, open to everybody. Bryant mentioned that Butler struggled with writing and found that often the feedback her teachers gave her didn't help her in becoming a better writer. When you're in school and you're being told what's important for you to learn and how you need to learn it and what books to read, and there's a kind of a canonical approach to education in school, of course. And the library can free you up from that, where you can start self-directing based on your own curiosity and intuition and chance and, uh, you know, develop your own, you know, one can develop their, their own methodology for, for, for learning um, and exploring the world. And I think that's really important 
um, that libraries aren't just for, you know, required book reports, but it's a way to kind of browse and expand your own repertoire um, of what it is to be um, a sentient being and what's, what's possible and what's out there, and that you can reach out and touch it just through the library. While we were talking, Bryant mentioned that there's a freedom in libraries that schools themselves don't provide. You allow yourself to direct yourself and you can't be wrong. Um, there's, there's, I guess that is subversive because there's no way to correct how a person uses a library. Like there's no one way to use it. Um, so then you can't be corrected and told like that, that's not the way to use it. That's not the way to even do research in some ways or to discover uh, aspects of a topic. So yeah, and I think that's what I really enjoyed about um, being in Octavia Butler's papers, um, was just trying to get a sense of how she developed her own methodology. And I, I do get that, that feeling of a person going into the stacks with certain books in mind, um, but also exploring everything around that one book. Digging into Butler's papers, Bryant was drawn towards documents that revealed how Butler guided her own education, making a note to herself every time she found something marked by a teacher. What I found in reading through Octavia Butler's papers and her notes to herself, um, her own annotations on her manuscripts, and specifically the kinds of books that she read toward her own self-formation as a person and as a writer. She read a number of uh, self-improvement books um, about her character, about how to, you know, kind of develop your brain, how to be more efficient, um, networking, you know, how to win friends and influence people, and um, where she was finding advice, where she was finding instruction. She became not just her own teacher, but in a kind of I guess in a kind of spiritual way, her own guru in how she spoke to herself also um, and kind of keeping herself on a path and, and taking care of herself as a writer. Um, sometimes she could be quite harsh to herself, but I was just impressed by that. You know, this idea of not just self-education, but self-formation, like how do you become, how do you figure out like what kind of person you are and then what kind of person you want to be and move toward that ideal, move toward that image. Um, how do you get yourself there? So it seems like with Butler having created all these notes and, and just over like life ephemera, she's almost become her own library for future writers. Right, absolutely. And that she had the presence of mind to save everything that she saved and then offer it to us um, to use as a library um, is just incredibly generous. In one sentence, describe the world if libraries never existed. Oh, what a horror. If libraries never existed, the world would be miserable and limited and dangerous. 
and violent, even more violent and more dangerous than it is now, and sad. It's horrific. That is such a... T I can't even... I didn't expect to find a mentor in Octavia Butler. I'm not a sci-fi writer. Um, I don't write genre fiction. I'd like to. I think it's really hard. But her advice to herself was advice to me that I, I really needed on sabbatical as I'm you know, figuring out how to proceed and progress with the projects I had on deck, but also what's my, what's the, what's my next best self that I'm moving toward? What are my goals? How do I direct myself in those ways? And she was incredibly instructive and I did not anticipate that. I did not anticipate finding the mentor in her, in her papers, in her voice, and in her hand, that hand of the teacher, being there for me. I thought I was like researching out towards just a kind of um, uh, a manifestation of her that, yeah, I just didn't anticipate how close to the bone reading her papers would be for my own development and perspective. Butler published her novel, Parable of the Sower, in 1993, the same year the Central Library reopened after the fire. The novel is set in Southern California in the year 2024, a place where civil society has broken down, natural resources are scarce, and marauding packs of thieves and arsonists rule the landscape. The 86 Library fire was eventually deemed arson, it's hard not to think that the burning of her sacred workplace did not directly affect her own story writing, having lost something, albeit temporarily, to arson. Once in an interview with Charlie Rose, Butler stated that she wrote about people. And what better place to experience all of humanity than in places like buses and libraries, some of the few places in modern society where literally everyone is welcome. This is Butler's legacy. Someone who is brave enough and patient enough to push past her feelings of shyness and experience the world full on. She wasn't hermetically sealed in a car or an expensive coffee shop. She opened herself up to the people and places around her. And even if she was writing science fiction, her own existence was firmly rooted in reality. Tom Carroll is the creator of Tom Explores Los Angeles. Radio Imagination is an exploration of the life, work, and influence of Octavia E. Butler. It's all being produced by Clock Shop. We're a nonprofit organization that works at the intersection of culture, politics, and urban space in Los Angeles. At clockshop.org, you can see the full list of our live events around Los Angeles and videos of Octavia Butler and the people who knew her. You can also sign up for an email newsletter and get updates on the project. I'm Savannah Wood. Thanks for listening.